Praise the Lord. You know, every message delivered from this pulpit has everlasting significance because eternal souls are at stake. Your souls, but not only yours. All the souls that receive the message through the electronic means. Now, we are continuing to look at spiritual warfare. And we're kicking off a, a different series of messages about the battle. The last series was on the armor, the armor of God. It's God's armor, and essentially that boils down to Christ. And now we're looking at whose battle is it? It's not our battle, as I told the children. And most of you have heard me say before that you matter to me. And I know the seriousness of the charge that God has given me in preaching His Word, in season, out of season, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting, lifting people up. The armor of God was uh, God's armor to prepare us for the battle that we are already in. And it's written in 1 Samuel chapter 17... In verse 47, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. A friend of mine used to say, God's not going to give me power out of the barrel of a gun. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. But that doesn't mean that we're disarmed, because the Lord himself said, if you have a cloak but you don't have a sword... Sell your cloak and buy a sword. That's written in Luke's gospel record. And as this passage in 1 Samuel goes on, it says, For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Now this was David as he was preparing to battle the giant. David said, This battle is not going to be won with swords and spears. The battle is the Lord's. And as he spoke those words to the giant, the giant's fate was already sealed. God took those stones, and God used them to knock that giant down. Now, David did, after knocking the giant down, take his own sword and lop the giant's head off. Okay? He did use the sword. This is not an argument for disarming the people. Okay? Don't take it wrong. There are those who would argue that, and I'm not one of them because we see that David did use the sword. He says, that's not where the battle is. It's not in the physical armament, though we have it. The battle is the Lord's. And throughout this series of messages, we're going to look at other texts that support this idea. This is the only text where that exact phrase is written, the battle is the Lord's. It's the only time we find it in Scripture. But there are other texts that support it. And we will look at those, as I said. We do well to commit this phrase, the battle is the Lord's. We would do well to commit it to memory. So when we are engaged in battle, we can recall that it's not our battle because we have a tendency to take things personal. We need to remember that it's God's battle. And that will help us to prepare the day ahead of us if we would maybe recite it every morning. The battle is the Lord's. Remember, John, the battle is the Lord's. 
we would know each day who we are battling is not for our purposes. It's for His. To be strong in our faith, we need to understand the truth about the battle that we're involved in. The victory has already been won by Christ. I mean, we sing it all the time. The victory is in Jesus. He conquered death. He conquered the grave, and we receive the benefit for it. Christ is our armor, and as long as we remain in Christ, He is our protection. We learned that in the last series of messages. Our role is simply a matter of believing what has already been accomplished. <clears throat> it's already been done. The work is finished. We simply need to remember that. Spiritual warfare is part of the reason that we gather here. This can be looked at as a barn. This can be looked at as the shop, the garage. We come here to be renewed and strengthened. We're strengthened by our fellowship with one another. We're strengthened by the hearing of the Word. We are strengthened by praying for one another. We are strengthened by praising the Lord because He inhabits the praises of His people. So we gather here to get refreshed and renewed for the battles out there. Our victory's already been won by Christ. We dig deep into God's Word here because this is our training manual. This is the manual that God made for mankind. And that's why we dig into it. It's too easy to lose sight of God's Word. I have been present for messages in a variety of different types of churches where a text might be read, or maybe three texts are read, and then there's a few minutes, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, even more, of talking about and around those texts. Instead of supporting what is written by God's Word, it's supported by the ideas of men, the traditions of humans. And I believe this is why the church has become so weak and beggarly. We don't know our authority. We don't know that we are in a battle. We don't know that we are also soldiers in that spiritual war. And this is why so many get overcome. We feed on that spiritual meat and potatoes to strengthen us for those battles that we are engaged in. Almighty God brought Christ to mankind through various people. As I mentioned to the children, old folks, and we're going to look at some of them today. He brought Christ through unusual circumstances and against all odds. And that same Almighty God is at work today in the world, preparing to bring Christ back for the final triumph. We need to remember that, folks. The battle is the Lord's, and the final triumph has already been won. We'll be looking at our Savior from the perspective of ordinary people that Almighty God used to overcome great difficulties. And not the least of these was their personal weaknesses, their inadequacies, and their lack of faith. And when we look at these people, we see they were just like us. Just like us, normal, everyday people. 
that God took and used for his purposes. And we're going to start in the 21st chapter of Genesis by looking at Sarah and Abraham and Isaac. And this is where we're going to find that Sarah gave birth when she was more than 90 years old. Genesis chapter 21, we're going to read the first seven verses. I believe we have it up there on the screen, yeah? Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your touch today. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear from your Word. I thank you, Father, for bringing your Word to life in our lives. Help us, Lord, as we look for your truth. Give me unction to speak, I pray. Take a hold of me and use me. I surrender fully to you. Take away my flesh, Father. Take away everything and anything about me that I would only be for you today. I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said. He kept His word, in other words. And the Lord did for Sarah as He had spoken. Again, He kept His word. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. God foretold this, and he kept his promise. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. How old? 100 years old. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. I pray that God would add his blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. You know, God chose Abraham and Sarah to begin His plan of redemption. This was God's plan. And I want you to listen to Abraham's response whenever he was given the message when God told him of his intention to bring forth multitudes of descendants through him. Listen to what Abraham, Abraham, it's written in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. What, I'm, I'm 99 years old? Come on, God, seriously? Really? He laughed, and he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety-nine, ninety, excuse me, ninety years old bear? Really? <laughs> like, this, this is unbelievable. God said, and Abraham, in his flesh, of course, laughed. He said, Really? This isn't even possible. Do you see their flesh, their, their humanness. I mean, 
Honestly, I'd have to think about that too. Now, Sarah's response was no different. Think about it. It's written in Genesis 18 and verses 10 through 12 that as the messengers were there and they were giving the message, they're talking to Abraham, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now, Sarah and or Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, just in case you thought they weren't. They put that little detail in there, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Now, I don't have to go into details there. You all know what that means. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, And after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? She's saying, Seriously, God? Are you serious? Now, if I'm honest with myself, I have to tell you, folks, I'd have to ask that same question. You're talking to me? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not so sure about that, God. I, I mean, who can believe a woman who's well past childbearing age could conceive, right? Who can believe that? How much faith does that take? But then, who could believe a virgin would conceive, right? Do you see the parallels? Is God can use anybody in any way He sees fit. He's the Creator after all. Now, in doubting God, they overlooked the blessing that Abraham received whenever he met with Melchizedek, the high priest, the king of Salem, and the priest of God. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And some believe that Melchizedek was Christ in the flesh in the Old Testament. I'm not so sure that that's true, but he most certainly is the type of Christ, because we are in the priesthood of Melchizedek. And there are some who say they're in the priesthood of Aaron or others, which is the Jewish rabbinic priesthood, and I'm not. I'm not in that priesthood. I am in the lineage of Christ under Melchizedek, and so are all of you. Now, that blessing began Abraham's journey into redemptive history. When Melchizedek blessed Abram, this is before God changed his name to Abraham, that was the beginning of Abram's journey. And this was the start of the first coming of Christ. We also find Christ our King and High Priest pictured, as I said, in Melchizedek. God spoke to Abram in a vision, and we'd find this in Genesis 15.1. I'm not sure if I have that. Yes, okay. And uh, Melchizedek blessed him, and afterwards he said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Abram had questioned God about a son. He wanted a son. And then his wife said, Look, I can't get pregnant. You got a servant girl over here, okay? Take care of her. She'll give you a child. Now everything will be good. This will fulfill God's plan. And God said, no, that's not the way I want it done. They did it anyway. And then the other child was born. And God said, this is not the way I wanted it to go down. He wanted an heir. God promised him an heir from his own body, but not just his body, but also from Sarah. And he was going to have descendants that would be more numerous than the stars. This is what he was told. 
we see Abraham's weakness. We see him being a human, a man. Abraham and Sarah were both mere humans. They weren't some special category of people that God created that could handle this. They were people just like you and I and everybody else in this room and all who will hear this message later. Yet God used them in spite of their human imperfections. And He used them to bring the Savior here. Can we see that they were no different than us? Now, if they were here today and God said, this is what's going to happen, and they laughed, there would be some who would criticize them. Faithless sinners, you're going to hell. There are some today that do that exactly, instead of bringing the love of Christ. We can't stand with that. They are no different than any of us. We are all sinners saved by the grace of Almighty God. And they were used of God because they were used of God. Do you get that? God used them in spite of their own human condition. And He can use each and every one of us the same way. He chose fallible people to bring His Christ into this world. And who are we to condemn them? We should not. We should not. Because in their humanness, they acted like human beings. And God worked with them anyway. This is His battle. It's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. God established His covenant with Abraham when he was about 99 years old. He promised to make him a great nation and the father of nations, which was both a literal and a figurative promise. Abraham's the father of physical nations in the Middle East. And they're engaged in physical battle to this day. Those two sons that were born, one to the slave woman and one to his wife, their offspring fight to this day. But he's also the father of spiritual nations who are engaged in spiritual battle to this day. And those two overlap. The physical and the spiritual are overlapping. God promised to establish an everlasting covenant between Abraham and his descendants, and that covenant comes to us by Christ. We are the beneficiaries. In Romans 10, 12, it's written, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, Jews and anybody else. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. And how shall they call if there is no preacher? And how shall they preach if they not be sent? This is written in the Scripture. Even after Sarah and Abraham sinned with Hagar and Ishmael was born, God promised them again that Sarah would bear a son. So even after they sinned, even after they fell away from God and did what He didn't want them to do, He used them anyway. We must not condemn someone because they have sinned. We must draw them into the love of Almighty God by Christ. This is the gospel. 
This is the message that God wants us to share. He used them even after they sinned against him. They went against his plan. He used them. He didn't cast them aside. He didn't send a bolt of lightning or hell fire out of heaven. He used them in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of the fact that they gave in to the temptation and they did things by their flesh. He used them to his glory. We have to keep this in mind, that we not be tempted to curse or to, to condemn somebody who is sinning. We need to call them out of it, yes. But we must do so with the love of Almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We read in the 18th chapter of Genesis that Sarah overheard the proclamation and laughed in herself in disbelief. There is her weakness as a human being. And yet she was rebuked for lying about it when the Lord questioned her. Oh, I, didn't lie. I didn't laugh. And he said, yeah, sure you did. But did God strike her dead right there? Did He cast her into hell for her sin? No. God used Sarah to bring Isaac, who would be the next one that God used in His covenant with mankind. Don't let the temptation come over you to condemn someone who is in sin. Draw them out of it. Invite them out of it. Yes. But God can still use them. And His Word shows us very clearly that He has in redemptive history. He hasn't condemned them. He called them out of it. He gave them opportunities. And He redeemed them. Again, we see Sarah and Abraham's disbelief. But against that, God fulfilled His promise through them. And He could do the same for all of us. It doesn't matter how we've misstepped. It doesn't matter how we've fallen short. It doesn't matter how we've sinned. Yes, it matters in the great scheme of things, but God will use us even in spite of those things where we've stepped wrong. Don't let yourself be condemned by somebody who says you can't be used of God. You can and you will be. You simply say, yes, Lord, use me. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. And Abraham and Sarah are prime examples of that. God will use you. God continued in the course of history to bring His Christ into the world using unbelieving, sinful people. Think of Rahab the harlot in the lineage of Christ. And yet we'd have people out there condemning harlots today, sending them to hell. And God is not pleased with that whatsoever. I can tell you, folks, He is not. I've watched some videos of preachers that are preaching this kind of a message, condemning people and criticizing them, calling them names. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for the redemption of humankind. And I must stand publicly and call it out. I will not participate in it at all. At all. Isaac was born to Sarah, who laughed. Isaac was conceived by Abraham and Sarah, who both laughed at God. 
Isaac grew and he married and he bore children. And it's written that Isaac had the same cowardice that his dad had when he lied about his wife calling her his sister. When I first read that in the scriptures, I thought, how could God use people that are so weak? And you know what he said to me? He's using you. Boom! Boy, I could have fallen on the floor. Anybody who thinks they're sinless on this side of eternity, they've got it wrong. That's not what the scripture shows at all. We misstep. We might step over the line and we come back. We turn from that. We don't stay there. And sometimes it takes God to give us a slap on the head. I've been there too. We also find that it's written in Genesis chapter 25, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. This is God speaking to Isaac. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Who chose Judah? Or excuse me, Judas. Who chose Judas? Anybody? Christ did. That's who chose Judas. And why would he choose this guy? He knew he was greedy. He knew he was covetous. The Scripture says he was covetous, and they put him in charge of the purse, in charge of the money. After all, that's what actually turned him into being the one that turned Christ in, 30 pieces of silver. He said he was going to bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Why was he doing it? Because he promised Abraham. Even in spite of Isaac's weakness, God used him. Remember, the battle is the Lord's. It's not my battle. It's not your battle. Yes, we do battle the flesh. In fact, Paul talks about saying things and doing things that he'd rather not, and he was the greatest evangelist of all time. And we don't see him going out yelling at people and telling them they're horrible sinners and they're going to burn in hell. No, what he does is he brings the love of Christ to bear upon their lives and he draws them out of that sin into the presence of Almighty God where they fall on their faces and they realize their sin. And God then takes over. It's the work of God. Battles the Lord's. He's done all that he's done in response to his promises. He promised to do it, and He's done it even in spite of those fallible people that He chose to do it through. Everything He said will come to pass. Everything. Our role in the battle is to accept His Word by faith. And to strengthen our faith, we have to study the Word of God. We need to pray. We need to fast and pray. We need to help others who are struggling. We're all part of the living spiritual body of Christ. He came to bring the final victory in this battle that we're engaged in. And we may not see ourselves as all connected. Sandy's prayer for unity in the family, that, that extends to the whole body of Christ. We need to have unity. Christ prayed for it. Read John chapter 17. We need to place our faith in His victory over death and the grave. We need to lose sight of ourselves to grow more and more cross-eyed. We need to be cross-eyed, folks. We need to be focused on the cross because nothing else matters without it. His cross brought victory. So focus, focus on His work. 
Focus on his life. Focus on his death. Focus on his burial. Focus on his resurrection. Focus on his ascension. That's the gospel. That's the message that we're to proclaim. It's like the Samaritan woman sat down at the well with Jesus. And he said, Woman, you're a horrible sinner. No, he didn't. You know what he said? He said, Woman, call your, wife, your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, You're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now you're not married to. And then she went into her town, and she said, Hey, guys, she called all the men of the town to come and meet this guy. He didn't condemn her. In fact, the Scripture tells us he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. That's the message of the gospel. Salvation through Jesus Christ. And we need to be those who proclaim that message, just like the woman from Samaritan. The Samaritan woman went to Samaria, to her town, and she said, hey, guys, come here, check him out. This is the guy. He's the one. He told me everything I ever did. We have to place our faith in Him. We know that because He lives, we can face daily challenges and battles if we remember His resurrection. And I would suggest we do that every day. Thank You for the resurrection of Christ, Lord. Keep that in mind. Keep it in the forefront of your mind because all this other stuff goes away whenever you think about His resurrection. Because of His life, you get life if you're in Him. Look back at His resurrection and prepare for and look forward to His promised return. That's what it points to. Our Lord spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness preparing for His ministry. He had to endure Satan's temptations, and fasting strengthens us spiritually against temptation. We can use fasting along with self-examination and meditation on the Word of God. Repenting. It helps us realize our need for God's grace. We are all in need of God's grace. All of us. And it's His grace by faith that brings His marvelous redemption of mankind into being. It's only through Him that it's accomplished. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. I can't make any of you look at the truth and accept it. I can't. There's nothing I can do to make that happen. I can proclaim the message. It's like I said before. I'm the postman. I give you the message. It's your mail. You have to read it. You have to accept it. You have to recognize that it is for you, just as I have to. It's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that He died for all. For who? For all. There are some in Christianity that say He didn't die for all. There's some that say, no, He didn't die for all. In fact, He created some for destruction. That's not what the Lord says in His Word. He says He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says He wants none to perish, but have all come to repentance. And it says in His Word that it's His goodness that brings us to repentance. It's not condemnation that brings us to repentance. He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And there is the, the little caveat. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him who died for us and rose again. 
And that's what we're to preach. Live for Him. He's the resurrection. He's the life. His resurrection is the message of victory in this spiritual war. It's the message of the gospel that brings light into the world. As we move forward, I challenge each of you to reflect. I want you to reflect upon your own humanness. I want you to reflect upon your own shortcomings. And I want you to look at Abraham and Sarah and say, you know what? I'm like them. They're like me. If God could use them, God can use me. Remember, God has always used people just like you and me, folks. We, we, read, them in the, we read of them in the Bible, and we, they're, 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 they're exploded into these big, huge characters. Somehow they're different from us, but they're not. He's used them to reach all of His creation. And God can and will use you for the furthering of His kingdom. And that's His kingdom on earth. No matter how many years you've lived or haven't, you had a woman one time, <clears throat> it was back when I first delivered a, a, a series of messages on the battle being the Lord's. This, these notes, some of these came from that series of messages in 2009. See, this is not a new message. This is the message of the gospel. This is what God wants us to realize and accept. He can use any of us. And this woman, she got so angry with me that she left the church because she said, God can't use children. I said, God always uses children. I remember when God called me. I was five years old. I knew I was going to work for Him. And whenever she said that God can't use children, I said, well, how do you explain what He did for me? He didn't do that. Okay, now she's calling me a liar. I know for certain. I spoke with God in prayer, and I know for certain He called me to serve Him, and I began serving Him, and I'll continue to serve Him. Now, I did take a break for about 20 years because of an unfortunate situation. But God said, I'm going to use you anyway, just like Abraham, just like Sarah. Did He care? Yes. But he took all that mess that I made of my life, and he used it to make me the minister that he wanted me to be right here, right now. God can use you too. Reading and studying Scripture is more than just the celebration of history. It's also a time of preparation for the future, and we have to remember that. God has promised that final victory in this spiritual warfare, and His people are called to die to self. That's why He said, pick up your cross daily. You've got to be cross-eyed. You've got to keep your eye on the cross. You've got to sacrifice yourself and live for Him. So I want us to examine ourselves. I want us to find our shortcomings. I want us to find our disbelief. I want us to find our sin. It's not hard to imagine the pharisaical critics of today hurling insults at Abraham and Isaac and Sarah for their disbelief. But let's not be like those who criticize and insult others for their weaknesses and sins. Instead, let us recall the words of Christ who, who said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone.
And this is when they brought a woman that was caught in adultery. Now, let me tell you, they said she was caught in the very act of adultery, okay? Now, when they brought her, do you think they gave her time to dress? What did he do? He looked down. Then he started writing in the ground. And there's lots of guesswork about what he wrote, because it's not written in the Scripture what he wrote. And my guess is he was writing names and sins. And the guy that they caught her with was probably one of the Pharisees right there in the midst of those who were condemning her. They were, the law says we have to kill her. And he said, oh, you who's without sin, you throw the first stone. Let you be the one that starts this act of killing this woman with stones. And when he looked back up, he said, woman, where are your accusers? He said, I don't know, she said. I don't know. Oh, they're not condemning you, neither will I. Now go and sin no more. See, we can't lose sight of that. He didn't just let her go to go on sinning. He told her to stop. But he didn't condemn her. And this is where many today are falling short of the gospel. They're condemning. And that is a sin in itself. Let's recall those words of Christ. Whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. I want each of us to meditate upon the Word of Almighty God, to ask Him for His will to be done in our lives. And I know this is a difficult message for some of us folks. But we need to go before the throne of grace in prayer. We need to go humbly with authentic sorrow for our weaknesses. We need to go there and, and ask for God's forgiveness for our mistakes and for our sin where we misstep. We need to go with adoration and go with confession and go with thankfulness. This is what His Word says. We need to adore Him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. We need to pray for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We have to remember that He used unbelieving people to bring the Savior into the world. Don't let that fact slip by you, folks. Don't think that somehow you're too weak for God to use you. He did that so that all might be saved from that prison of unbelief and sin and darkness and death. He did it because He so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son into the world, that whoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever would believe. And we are not going to get people to believe by condemning them in their sin. That's not what He did, and that's not what we're to do. As I wrap this up, I want you to remember that God always brings to pass what He promises. And Abraham and Sarah and Isaac are prime examples. It's his battle. He says, I'm going to do this, and he does it. So if you read his word and you find a promise, you can stand on that promise. Standing on the promises of God, my King. We sing it, but do we believe it? Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. We will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God, standing.
standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. The battle is the Lord's, folks. He's already secured the victory. And by using Abraham and Sarah, he shows us that he can use each of us, even against adverse circumstances, even against our own disbelief. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know it's your battle. We know that you have laid out in your word the way that we are to share the good news, the glad tidings. Help each of us, Father, not to condemn the Abrahams and Sarahs and Isaacs that we encounter, but help us, Lord, to lead them into your presence by praising you, shouting praises if necessary, that we would draw people out of darkness and into your light. Let us remember the words of Christ who said, let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. Let us come before your throne of grace in prayer. Help us, Father, to fast, even a meal. We can turn that over to you and deny our flesh. Help us, Lord, to come before you humbly with authentic sorrow for our own weaknesses. Help us not to be so proud that we think we are without sin. Help us, Father, to confess our mistakes. Help us, Father, to adore you. And help us to be thankful for all that you give now and until Christ returns, I pray in his mighty and majestic name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.